Welcome to the Death Dialogues Project Podcast. I'm your host, Becky Odd Jennison, and I can guarantee you that you will be a better human for listening to these stories. Thanks for being here. I'm very pleased to have Randy Perlman Wolfson on this episode of the Death Dialogues Project podcast. Randy is holding space out in the ethers with grief and grits on Facebook and on Instagram. And it's a beautiful, caring um, space where people are connecting with each other and given a voice for their grief. Randy's own experience was that her father died when she was 10 years old. He was a 41-year-old school teacher, and he died of leukemia, and her and her sibling weren't even aware that he had been ill. I'm fascinated by this unique perspective that we're given today. You know, the premise behind the Death Dialogues Project is that we learn more from engaging and sitting with other people's stories than we do from looking at a textbook or looking at a how-to list. So this is invaluable. If you know somebody or are somebody whose children are... Um, potentially going to be in a grief situation or are mired in a grief situation, or if you as a child experience that, I think that you're going to really um, have a lot of beautiful support and insight from this episode today. And I would highly encourage you, if you know someone in that situation, that you would share that with them. I also think it's beautiful that she wrote her book, Eddie's Brave Journey, How One Little Elephant Learned All About Grief. And what we now know is that Randy and I both have it in common that we are um, recovering therapists. So within this conversation, the beauty too is that Randy has a deep understanding of the different developmental um stages that children go to go through and how that affects their grief. So in that way, um, this is also an invaluable conversation. So anyway, thank you for being here. I'm thinking Randy from the depths of my heart that we finally connected. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. Randy of Grief and Grits. I am so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here with you. Awesome. So, Randy, the way we do it is if you would just give everybody an idea of where you're sitting in the world and just take us back to your story of loss that turned on um, the light for you about death and grief and and loss and and then you can lead us into what what's what's shined from that then if if that's okay and i'll just chat with you as we go a little bit but i love to just primarily hear your story absolutely um i'm really proud and honored to be able to tell my story um i my story of loss began when i was 10 years old uh when my father died he was uh, 41 years old. He was a school teacher, and he had been sick with leukemia for three and a half years. 
Um, but this was not anything I knew about because my very young mom and dad made a decision not to tell really just about anybody. I think that the only people who really knew were um, my grandparents and um, aunt and uncle. So a couple of relatives, but they chose not to discuss it with my brother, who was four years older than me, who is four years older than me, um, and myself. So when my dad died, when I was 10 years old, for me, it was like a sudden death because I had no clue that he had been sick for all that time, which was pretty amazing in those days. It was, um, he died in 1966 and he lived, you know, a long time with leukemia for those days um, and was relatively seemingly well for most of that time. Um, he was a school teacher, as I mentioned, and he worked all the way up until the uh, winter break that year, and he died on January 8th. So um, I always, I often think about all those fifth grade children that uh, left for winter break and came back to their teacher who had died. Um, so that's really where my journey of grief began. I, I call myself a lifelong griever because I really am a lifelong griever. And um, I've had other deaths in my life, but of course that's the one that informed my life the most. Wow, I'm just, I'm just having all sorts of thoughts and feelings about this. Um, that vision that you're painting of those students coming back and the thought that your father was well enough to work up into yeah. that. Isn't that something? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. And when you look back in your little mind, you know, your 10 year old mind, nine year old mind. Right. Did dad look, did dad look well? Seem well? You know, it's funny when I, now when I look back at pictures, um, within a year of his death, now as an adult, I can look back and I can see in his eyes, you know, that, they were not well eyes. Um, the only thing I also remember was his arms being bruised. And, you know, he and my brother would kind of wrestle around as a father and son might do. And I, I remember, I have a memory of my father um, having to stop that. Not, of course, again, understanding why, um, so that's really the only memory I have of him not being perfectly well. But again, he kept working. He, you know, he did all the things. He ran a day camp in the summer. Um, he had a, a partner who was also a teacher and they uh, ran a camp for children um, all summer long. And that's what he did, you know when he wasn't teaching uh, during the school year. So, yeah, my memory of him was really as a pretty healthy-looking guy. He was a strong guy. He was a gymnast as a young man. Um, he didn't smoke. He really didn't drink. You know, he really was kind of a specimen of health. And so 
to have come down with leukemia was, I think, you know, probably a very shocking thing for, um, you know, for him, for my mom, um, and for the few family members that knew, you know. And as a parent listening to this, I can certainly understand the desire to normalize your children's lives as much as possible. But you are you have a very unique perspective right now. And I'm so curious to hear you speak on that. Um, because I have no judgment. I don't know what's right, what's wrong. I'm sure it's different in such different situations. But for you personally, how how would that experience of not knowing at all until your father died, how would that have informed you if you had a similar situation in your life, how you would have handled that? Can you speak very personally about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because, you know, grief and... Uh, and children's grief, adult grief is now, you know, became my, really my passion and, um, helping others to understand how to speak with children about death, um, so that they can begin a healthy journey of grief. Um, I, you know, look, I, I recognize as an adult that it was very different times, 19, he became ill really in 1963 and those were very different times you know there was just no knowledge at all about grief and and even talking about death and um so i i can understand it as an adult that they didn't know what to do and there was probably nobody around to really help guide them um, but of course, if I were their guide today, I would help, you know, I would, of course, help them in uh, being able to talk to the children, to talk to my brother and I, to help us understand what was happening, you know, and that he had this blood disease and that they were, you know, doing what they could do to uh, help him with this disease and stay alive and do all they could do. But, um, you know, there was a possibility of this illness, um, you know, that it could end up making his body stop working and he would die. And, um, you know, to obviously help us have conversations and be able to say goodbye and ask questions. And um, so, yeah, of course, I, you know, I, would want that to be handled quite differently. Um, and hopefully today we do know a lot more. We have a lot better understanding, although, you know, grief, as you well know, is, is still a very difficult subject and very hard to talk about. And, um, but certainly way, way better than 1966. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, my, my mom tells me the story that after my dad died, she went to the library to find a book, something to help her. And the only book there was, was something about now that you're a widow, what to do with your finances. That was it. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's nothing volumes for children. Right there, yes. doesn't it? No pun intended. But that, um, 
Yeah, the fact that the only book was geared towards finances is a statement of that era, I would I would say, when it comes to yeah. dialoguing about death or loss or grief. So oh, yeah. as I'm I'm assuming you might tell us, I'm not real sure if you've had other loss in your life, but but looking back at that little girl and knowing what you do about grief and loss, do you think your grieving would have been much, much different had you had more preparation? You know, of course, we can never say, you know, exactly how the response would have been. Um, mm -hmm. I'd like to think that um, had there been help, had there been sharing, talking, I will say one thing. And that is that there was never a feeling of we could not talk about my dad or put the pictures away or anything like that. And you do hear that from families that where, you know, I'll hear people say that when I was a child and my parent died, we had to get rid of pictures and clothing and we could never speak of him or her again. Um, and that did not happen in my family, thank goodness. Um, but I, I will give an example. I was in fifth grade and my mom went to the teacher just to find out, what do you think? How is she doing? And the teacher said, oh, she's doing just great. And I was seemingly doing great. I was, you know, a good little girl and did what I had to do and didn't show emotion. and and was very quiet and and um so there was really no way to know what was going on inside of me so yes of course um i think that it would have put me on a healthier grief journey it really took me a good probably 12 years until i would address my grief for the first time uh, through therapy and really begin to look at what having a father die as a child meant in my life. If I can um, be so bold and ask you, those last days of your father's life, what was happening then and from your little girl perspective? Did you observe him begin to decline precipitously? I mean, how how did that unfold for you? Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's interesting. I don't have a lot of memory. Um, I have a little bit just more probably from what I've been told, but I he probably was starting to go a little bit downhill. But as I said, he worked all the way up till the winter break, so, and died mm -hmm. on January 8th. So there really was not much time, if you think about that, in between, because in those days it was, winter break probably started just before Christmas. And um, he, I believe he had to go into the hospital and my mom sent my brother and myself over to my grandparents. And the next morning, 
she he died that night and the mm. next morning she she came over and i remember her sitting me down on my grandmother's bed to tell me that god needed another teacher in heaven and I, I actually love to use that example because it's the exact example of what we really don't want to do with children because mm -hmm. euphemisms are really difficult for children to understand. Um, mm -hmm. I really don't think I understood what she was talking about. Um, and I assume that maybe the next parts of the conversation were that he died, but um, that's what I remember most. Mm. So, and, and we were able to go to the funeral, which I think also might, well, you know, John F. Kennedy, of course, had died just three years earlier. And Jackie Kennedy, in a lot of ways, was such a great role model because she came out there and she walked among the people and her two little children stood right next to her. And I think she was a real role model for my mom and, uh, and might've been a big factor in what helped her make the decision to let us be at the funeral and have that involvement. That's a beautiful point. I, remember those i was john i was john jr's age and you know even i can remember as a teeny tiny seeing those pictures and um talking to my mom about it over and over and um i'm very i'm powerful. realizing yeah very powerful and and my mother had stories and i won't go into it but a, a really tragic example of the death the person it was actually the death of a toddler of a friend and then all the pictures were gone and mm -hmm. um exactly what you say nobody talked of the of the baby again and um so i'm really hearing and feeling this conversation and thinking back to Jackie O and what a huge influence she had on women even my own mother you know would speak of her frequently and yeah. that that's very striking. I'd never thought of that in that context. I'm sure she yeah. I'm sure that was a great role modeling for bringing kids into the situation into the process of death. Yes, absolutely. I I mean, I don't know how aware Jackie Kennedy really was of what she was doing, but I think it it really was a pretty amazing thing to do, very brave and and again, a really good role model. For people in well, those days who, you know, death was just not really talked about. And there was this death that was, you know, so present and, and so affected the entire country. And for her, you know, for them to put it on TV and, and allow people to be a part of that, I think it was just a really, really important thing. And, and, and so important that it obviously did play a part, I really believe, in what we were able to do when it came time for my own father's funeral. So just to stress that that her role modeling started with her in that pink suit with his blood on it. Yes. As she came off the yes. airplane, didn't it? That she it refused sure to change did. out of those That's clothes right. and let the world see what had really happened. 
That's right. I'm just getting yeah. a little bit of chills with that. Yes. Yeah, so tell us then. Tell us how um, you think that by by that happening that her that that may have laid a bit of a path for you all to be included in the funeral. I really do. Um, yeah. Yeah, I really do. So I think, and that's, that's a really good thing. I think it's important for children to be a part of a funeral. And, and um, so I, I'm glad that that was able to happen. Um, and at least we could be a part of that. I think that's just so, so important. It's so understandable, the history, though, of treating it like your parents did, because um, rightly or wrongly, you, we overprotect our children so much of the time because we don't want them to have pain um, and experience yeah. pain. And uh, I can tell from just the way you talk about it and the benevolence in your voice that you, you see it, that it was a, an act of compassion from their perspective. Absolutely. I think partly it was an act of compassion, and I think it was also an act of not wanting to face what was really happening mm. and, um, you know, that he was dying. I, 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 I don't know that he really wanted to um, be seen as this person who maybe was weak or dying, you know, and wanted to maintain um, you know, being this great teacher and dad and athlete and, you know, all of that. And I mean, that's a really tough thing to have to face when you're 37 and a half and you become diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. And um, so I think that was probably a part of it too, you know, just not quite knowing how to face the idea that this very young man could be dying. Hmm. So lead us into the, the path that's been laid before you. Well, I would say that, of course, I continued to grow and go to college. And um, as I said, um, I well, actually, I guess I was a little older than 20 to probably more like around 24, the first time that I really began to understand that, oh, I, I carry the heart of a grieving child inside of me, and I need to start to explore this. And um, I actually went to school to become a marriage and family therapist. And so it was right around that time that I began to explore the grief in uh, therapy. And that was a really great thing. You know, it was the beginning of starting to understand, um, you know, anger, fear, all the different feelings that come with grief um, and beginning to make some sense out of how that all affected me. Um, so I did become a marriage and family therapist. and. Uh, later on down the road, I decided that where my path really needed to go was towards grief and working with grievers. And I just knew it was where I needed to be. I needed to be able to take um, my professional experience and kind of melt it with my personal experience 
And so I began working um, in the field of grief support. And so I was working with um, grieving adults and children in and training volunteers to lead grief support groups. And part of what I also did was um, a lot of educating presentations, working with um, therapy interns, um, teachers, medical students, clergy, uh, pretty much anywhere we could, we were, um, you know, educating people about grief. Um, so that was my path for about 13 years. And then a couple of years ago, I left that job and uh, decided to go on a different path and started to write my page, my Instagram and Facebook page, Grief and Grits, um, and began to share in a really different way. When I was working at my job in grief support, it was not about me sharing my own personal experience. It was about me you know, really being there for others. When mm -hmm. I started my page, I decided that what I really wanted to do was educate about grief. I wanted to um, help other people understand what grief was like and that it was a lifelong process. That, that's really been one of my um, most important goals in writing Grief and Grits is I want people to understand that grief is a lifelong journey and to not have to be fearful of that. Even though fear mm. and it is a part of grieving, I didn't want. I wanted people to understand that 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 grief revisits all throughout our life, and I think that if people could understand that, it doesn't have to feel so scary when that moment hits where that you're in the middle of a grocery store and you see the anniversary date of your person's death and all of a sudden you find yourself on your knees, <laughs> you know, in the middle of a grocery store. We need to understand that's what happens. That's part of grieving. And so that was a big goal that I had also for writing the page. And I decided that I was going to share about my own grief and hope that the stories that I could share would, that I could share them in a way that it would also be, they were personal, but would become universal. And that people would be able to re relate to my stories in such a way that they may be able to say, oh, wow, I see myself in that. And, um, and so when I started the page, the Facebook page first, before Instagram, I started in August, almost three years ago, and I thought, well, I'll give myself till December, and if 50 people follow me, I'll keep going. And now, almost three years later, I have close to 10,000 people. Wow. And so what that says to me is, okay, you know, people, they, it, the way I share about grief resonated. And people want to talk about grief. They want to share and they don't want to feel alone. And hence your page and so many wonderful grief pages that have popped up. And God, that just does my heart good from being a little 10-year-old girl who there was not one thing to read 
not one person to talk to about grief, to now so many pages and people having places to not feel alone and to not feel like what they're feeling is wrong. And so it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. The grief community on Instagram and Facebook is amazing. It is. It's it's just um, one of the things the internet is doing very right, having these spaces, because many spa people need to leave their personal space on, for instance, Facebook. I've heard this repeatedly from people because they start getting those messages of, really, are you still having to talk about mm -hmm. this so much? Or... And which always, to me, it signals that person's discomfort, not their care for the individual, because yes, grief is hard for everyone, and it brings up other people's losses as well. So, so many people have told me about their journey to making an Instagram area was a place, and, and many times they don't use their names, it's a place where they could just be who they fully were now. And exactly. let all of that story out and let the grief out. And I just have to comment, Randy, sitting here, um, recovered therapist to recovered therapist. I don't know if you fully recovered. You may be still working. <laughs> I call myself a, a therapist on dog because yeah. we are, um, and I just wrote a little bit about this. It just popped in my head earlier today. Um, about how programmed we are as clinicians in our training and in our ethics and licensure, you know, the boundary, boundary, boundaries. And we're definitely not there about sharing our stories. But um, someone I was talking to earlier was, was mentioning that they felt the need after they had experienced their death of their mother to go back and to apologize to someone that they had known in high school that had experienced the loss of a mother because at that point in mm. time, they had no reference place. And I have talked to so many therapists who have said the same thing that, oh my gosh, I just want to go back and apologize to clients yeah. prior to my deep loss because it's a whole different space to be in. And you know, you walked into it with your loss. I walked into it. My father died at, at 22. So I walked into it with some of that experience as well. But yes, this kind of work you're doing and I'm doing now, I totally agree with you. And that's what we're all about is it's, it's each other's stories we learn from. We don't, yes. we don't learn from, I mean, there's some beautiful books out there, but the books that I learn more from are when it's about someone's story. Rather than yes. a rote, um, well, this is what you'll expect and this is what you need to do and, you know, dot, 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 what to do with your kids. I, I really gain more. And that's why I was picking your brain about how that felt for you as a child, because that will inform me as much or more than that chapter in someone's academic yes. book. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And yeah, I haven't practiced as a therapist for many, many years. Um, I, that part of my life is set to the side and, and I 
really call myself now a grief educator and um, and an author because I um, I have a brand new children's book out um, for grieving children um, and that uh, you know has just been a really wonderful important journey for me. Um, oh my I'm gosh, that proud. must feel like a full circle for you to write that. It it really does, and um, it's very special. And there's even a little character in the book that's named for my dad, um, and so that's really important to me too. Because of course, you know, connection to our person who died is uh, you know so important. And um, so to be able to have my little character, who's a very important little character in the book, named for my dad, um, is really really special. It's beautiful. So throughout your life, did deep loss revisit? Um, yeah, of course. Um, all four of my grandparents died. Um, and I was very close to all four of my grandparents. So that was, um, that was very difficult. And, um, and then later, my dad's sister, who I was also very close to. Um, so that, you know, those were, those were very hard deaths. Um, probably nothing informed my life the way my dad's death, of course, because I was only 10 years old. But, um, but yeah, I would say that each one of those deaths were, were really difficult. They were, um, my grandparents were very integral in my growing up. And, um, and, you know, I stayed very close to my dad's parents, um, after he died, which was of course really important and, and I'm very happy that I was able to maintain that relationship with them. And I think it was very important to them as well. So, um, but yeah, again, I, I would have to say though, that my dad's death, of course, is, you know, the one. Mm-hmm. And now sure. is your work as a grief educator, do you, do you do any type of online facilitation or is it mainly through your Instagram platform? Yeah, it's all really through um, my Facebook and Instagram page. Um, and I am there again, strictly for educational purposes no kind of counseling. I, you know, I don't hold myself out as a counselor or a therapist. I'm not there to do therapy. Um, I am there really just to provide a, a safe place for people to read about grief, learn about grief, understand about grief, and even share a little bit about grief. Um, and it's really been a lovely community. Um, people have really reached out to one another. They're kind to each other. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. And um, it's it's been a very special experience. I never could have imagined. Like I said, I, <laughs> I was excited that 50 people came along. And um, mm -hmm. so it's, it's, it's really been lovely. And, and more so on Instagram than Facebook, um, the connection on Instagram with other grief writers um, has been just phenomenal. 
that just seems to be more of a, a, a kind of connecting thing that happens more on Instagram, I think, than Facebook. On Facebook, it's been more about the the um, the followers who come on and um, you know follow grief and grits and and participate with their comments and um, and all of that. On Instagram, it's been more of that connection with other grief pages. So that's mm. been it's interesting. They're they're two very different kinds of platforms. They're both wonderful, just different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a a beautiful place to meet, and I I sense that um, that you gain as much or uh, very much from it as well as your followers do. It sounds like it really fills oh, your cup. It really fills my cup. It's it's been um, I have to say one of the greatest things I've ever done, and um, you know, connecting with other grievers and, um, you know, just, you know, to get one comment that says, you know, wow, this really touched me and helped me see something about my grief. That just means everything. Um, Mm -hmm. because that's what I, I, I often say grief needs a voice. And I really believe that. I think that grief has to come from the inside to the outside in some way. Sometimes it's with a voice and speaking and sometimes it's through writing and art and music or, you know, running around the block or whatever it might be. But some way, somehow, grief has to get from the inside of our bodies to the outside. And however that can be done is um, just so important and so wonderful when it happens. I'm wondering if you could speak to the parent that might be listening right now, that either now or in the future has the situation where they they or the other parent is um, terminal has a terminal diagnosis. And, and I can understand if I just even saying those words, the sense of overwhelm that must bring as well. And how, when you're dealing with that news, that information, what's the plan? What's the treatment? Is there treatment? What do we do on top of to negotiate your child's well-being and emotional terrain on top of that must feel extremely overwhelming. But if you could, as that little girl grown up, Walk us through how that, how you would see that looking or what you would do in your own life if that opportunity arose, if you had that situation. Can you just walk us through what that might look like, like when the diagnosis comes? And, um, and I know we're not right. This is your story. We're not saying this is how to do it, but what, oh, what would, sure. what do you think that? would have been helpful for that 10 year, 10 year old little girl. Yeah, of course. You know, look, I, I think, um, you know, I can speak in some generalities, I think, because obviously each situation is going to be different. It's dependent on the age of the children, what you're, you know, what you're going to say to a four year old is going to be very different from a 10 year old and a 15 year old. Um, so, you know, obviously, 
using language that is appropriate for um, you know a certain age group. Um, but I, I really firmly believe in honesty and uh, truthfulness because here's the thing: we don't we know that children can overhear things, and I even wonder in my own home, did I overhear things? And lived in a certain amount of fear. Um, I've written, you know, about that because I do believe children feel things and they do hear things, and it can be very, um, you know, confusing. Um, you may be hearing a phone ring in the background. <laughs> I just <Yes>. realized. <laughs> um, human moment. That's fine. Human moment. There's a human moment. Um, so, you know, the, we want children to hear these things from an adult that they love and they trust, uh, rather than hearing it on a schoolyard or overhearing a phone call, that kind of thing. So that that's really important. Honesty um, at a level that they can understand um, and helping them open up these conversations. If you do have a terminally ill parent, you know, there may be questions that you want to be able to ask them. You may want to be able to say goodbye to them, let them know what you loved about them and appreciated about them. And um, what do you think I should do for a career? Do you have any ideas where you think I should go to college or, you know, what sport do you think would be cool for me to do when I get to be in high school? And just all those kinds of future questions that, um, if your parents not here, you may never, you know, you won't get the chance to ask. Um, and then when it comes to actual death and telling children about death, uh, how important it is not to use euphemisms. We, I think you said earlier, Becky, about, you know, we want to protect our kids and we want to keep them from any kind of pain. And so our tendency is going to be to want to use gentle language and kind of go all around using the D word, the, you know, death, died. Mm. Um, but children are literal. And so when they hear things like, we lost your dad, he went to sleep, he's gone. That's really confusing for children. You know, well, we lost uh, uh, the uh, notebook, you know, last week and we found it let's go find dad so you know we want to make sure that we that we use re what i call real language um and avoid euphemisms and that's really important in helping children understand what exactly is happening the truth about what's happening um and that begins a journey of children knowing that we're going to be honest with them, that we can go to the depths of whatever it is that they're feeling, letting them know that you may see me cry, but I want you to know that I'm going to take care of me. And sometimes we can cry together and we can talk about it. And um, But it's important to help children understand that they don't have to be responsible for what it is their parents or their caregiver is feeling and going through. That's really, really important. 
Um, so as we relay to children what's happening, we also need to let them know they're not responsible for us as adults. Mm-hmm. I think parents frequently have the question of just how how distraught can my children see me and still be okay? Sure. What of do you course. think about that? You know, look, I think that, um, you know, we want to be careful that children don't end up feeling responsible for the adults in their life. And yeah. so I, I do think that um, it's really imperative for a grieving parent or caregiver to make sure that they are doing what they can to first take care of themselves. And I know there's an inclination for a parent to say, oh my God, I, I, I need to get help for my child first. But the truth is, it's not unlike, you know, when we put on our oxygen mask first before we put it on the child. It's such a great example because it's really true. Um, a grieving parent, the best thing they can do is make sure that they're getting help for themselves first so that they can then be as present as possible for their grieving child. So um, that's really important, really, really important. So I don't think there's anything wrong with letting your child see that you're sad and you're crying and you're um, hurting, but I think that it's important to make sure that when when a grieving parent is really in the depths that they don't put that on their child to be responsible for that. Does that make sense? Mm. It does make sense. It's, it's bringing up to me a bit of a mantra that I would have during um, people consulting during times of separation or divorce. And actually something I kept foremost in my mind when I went through that was the little mantra of, you know, the children will do as well as the adults do. And in that context, thinking of that as a coaching element for parents to be kind to each other and try to um, role model that yes, everybody could still be pleasant and be friendly and be loving and be still be a family. But when I as you're saying that, that came to my mind again, that phrase that um, the the children, that might be a bit of a barometer there as well to be thinking about. Like, so I want my children to, to be as well as I'm doing. That doesn't well is defined so differently yeah, in context right. of loss, right? Because well Absolutely. is also that for me, well would be, I want my children to be able to process their loss and grief openly and explore all those nooks and crannies but it might help me on one of those days when i'm really just falling apart you know really wanting to sob right. or really wanting to, that that i might not present that maybe quite as openly this is just me sp speaking for me you know because um again there if i if i'm if i'm um shattered beyond anybody coming and patting me and saying, I'm here for you, then that does put a lot of burden on them to feel that they can't Correct. help. They can't help Correct. me that I'm, That's Oh right. no, 
and it's not safe then, you know, depending on the age group, like you say, that developmental space, then there comes a feeling of insecurity about, you know, what, what is this terrain I'm walking on? Who's the person that's going to catch me if I need something? Yes, and so it's right. that fine line, isn't it? It's very tricky with, you know, that balance of wanting, it's wanting a, our kids to have that open, honest experience, but also, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, protecting yes. them is the wrong word, but role modeling appropriately and all of that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so I, so I think, you know, those are the biggest things I think is, you know, really modeling the, the language that we use, helping them to understand it in clear language, um, and being willing to have hard conversations, you know, hmm. and to, and that you don't have to know the answer to everything. Like if a child says, you know, where, where did daddy go? You know? For some, it's a definite daddy's in heaven and the, and a family may understand and believe that. And that may be very real for one particular family, for another family. Um, they just may not know the answer to that. And it's okay to kind of talk about that. You know, what do mm -hmm. you think happens when somebody dies? And it's okay to talk about it. But it is important to also talk about clearly where the body is so that children have an understanding that something happens when a body dies, you know, they're buried or cremated. Bodies are not, if, if a family does believe in heaven, that bodies are not floating around above them. <laughs> that can be very mm -hmm. scary and very, very confusing. But it is that maybe the spirit or the soul or their personality, whatever it is that a family calls that, that's the part of the person that's in heaven while their body mm. has, has, you know, either been cremated or, or buried. So I think that's important too. Um, yeah. And so I love I, your reminder of the kickoff space that was always good during the, the talks about rep reproduction of when you're asked a question before you get off on a tirade, asking it back. <laughs> so you can yes. really get a sense of what their developmental right. understanding is right then. And, and then Absolutely. let that guide you. <laughs> yes. Yes. I agree. I agree. And I think, you know, for the most part, kids are usually asking questions, usually asking questions that they're, they're mostly ready to have a conversation about, mm. you know, it's kind of, so, like you say, it's, yeah, go ahead. Go on. No, I was just going to say it's figuring out, like what you said, how, where are they exactly, you know, because, um, you know, sometimes as adults, we, maybe we give up too much information and they're not quite ready. That's not what they really wanted to hear, you know, so it is, it's a balance. It's a balancing act. Right. Well, I was, my direction I was going as we're getting into our wrap time, this is perfect because in my experience with doing therapy with children, working with children after great loss, I used books as a major tool. Um, and I'm so happy that you've written a book for children. And how can you tell our listeners where they might find that book at? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the name of the book is Eddie's Brave Journey, How One Little Elephant Learned All About Grief. 
and it is for our littlest grievers. So it's really geared towards um, like two, two to eight, although I think it can be for any age. I think even adults can enjoy it and, and get something out of it too. But it's definitely geared towards, you know, younger grievers. Um, and I do have a website and it's eddiesbravejourney.com and people can get the book there. And also by going to um, Grief and Grits, um, griefandgrits.com and eddiesbravejourney.com are both the same website. And then of course my Facebook and Instagram page, which is called Grief and Grits. And, um, and the book does utilize very honest language. It uses the word died. It, you know, so it, it describes what happens when somebody dies, you know, that the body stops working. And, um, so, you know, I like, I want people to know that because I want people to understand this is a book to use if you are, are okay and comfortable with using that kind of language. Um, and I think that's important for people to, to know, but it's a very engaging book. Eddie goes on a journey to understand his great big feelings after his grandpa dies and he meets other animals who help him address all of the different things that he is going through as a little griever. And, um, so it's, and it's beautifully illustrated by my illustrator, uh, Kataya Tracing Grat. And I, it's a wonderful little book. I'm really, really proud of it. And I hope. Oh, congratulations on writing that. That must, yeah, that just must be feel beautiful for you. Is it available on e-reader, an e-reader as well? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Um, he, he, I <laughs> Eddie is real to me. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, the book is, <laughs> he's my, uh, he's my baby. He, um, the book is available right now just through Eddie's brave And okay. Um, yeah. 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 And, and also right now he's only available in the United States. I do want to mm. be upfront and, and mention that as well. So as things move along, I hope that will change, but right now, um, he's available just in the States. Okay. Well, Randy, I am so filled by this conversation and so grateful that we've finally gotten to connect for an episode. Thank Aww. you so much for being here. Me too, Becky. Thank you. I love everything that you do and you're so gentle and you've made this whole process so supportive and comforting and loving and i just want to thank you for the opportunity and oh really thank you to have been here with you so thank you oh it's my pleasure and i look forward to continuing to connect in to me infinity too. and beyond <laughs> me too me too thank you becky all right you take good care bye-bye too We hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. We'd love for you to get further connected with our project. You can find the links in the podcast information. You can also find the Death Dialogues Project on Facebook, on Instagram, and at www.deathdialogues.net. Take good care and see you next time.